So my name is Lowell, pronouns he, him, and as those of you in the call probably already know, I am the community manager for the Open Hearth Gaming Community. And one of the things that was discussed a couple of times during our New Year's Day meetups with the community is people were asking about having some chats, some discussions about different games, about different topics and things like that. And what came up several times in people's this, uh, kind of list of things was talking about Force in the Dark. Uh, a couple of people talking particularly about that they were having a trouble grokking it or or had some questions about it or wanted to talk about best practices for play. So that is the goal of today's session. Uh, and it's literally talking Force in the Dark. And I am going to start by kind of going over like what I think are, are key things from, from my experience. Uh, and then I want to kind of open it up to people's discussions, ideas, comments, and things like that. I definitely want this to be uh, a discussion rather than me entirely blathering for this. Uh, but I want to talk uh, first about what I think Horse in the Dark strengths are. And I think it is that Horse in the Dark really functions very well as a game where, A, there is a mission-based objective-based segment to the play that there is a thing that is repeated we go back to that is cycle back we have a thing that is the focus of action that that we go and do uh and that we have some structures outside of that and that structure play uh, helps in a number of ways but i think that's really important when we're thinking about what games or settings or systems work with forged they are games that that have a, a, a cycle that we can define and that do have those missions. And those missions may vary. They may be very different kinds of missions, but we understand that there is a mission segment. For example, Mountain Home uh, has uh, as its mission segment very different kinds of missions, and they're but they're very loosely structured, uh, but they do play into things uh, as as you you go on. Uh, but I think that's really important. Now, uh, we are familiar with Forge in the Dark. Forge in the Dark is a dice pool system. We generate D6s. Uh, they use the term actions to describe what I always call skills in games. Uh, and we've got those broken into categories uh, that are important. I want to point this out because I think this is really important, is one of the biggest challenges for Forge in the Dark game is naming those actions. I think that a good Forge in the Dark game has actions that are, are obvious and that are clear and that are applicable in multiple circumstances. I think that's a huge challenge. And I've seen some Forge in the Dark games where I don't immediately get what the, the ratings are. And that's especially a problem if you've decided to go with, say, 12 ratings versus nine ratings. I think that's really important. Uh, and it's important for players to try and understand what those mean and for the GM to tell the players, this is my expectations for what that rating means, for what that action means. Uh, the players need to know what that is. Now, the fallback for Fortune and Dark is that whatever the players choose is, is right. That's, that's their choice. And I try to hold to that very liberally. Uh, I try to, to let the players choose first. I'll 
make options and suggestions, but would give the players the opportunity to shape their action, shape their description to fit with the, the, the particular action dots that they are using. So uh, as we know, we've got the bigger meta picture of the structure of play, but at the baseline, we have our resolution. And our resolution is about generating a number of dice. And those dice we roll, and we're going to be taking the highest. Uh, it is a slightly different set of numbers than you get with PPTA. With PPTA, it's something like 42% miss, 42% mixed, and then I think 16 or 18% is a hit. Uh, what happens with this is we have a higher with a D6 thing. Uh, if we're just looking at a single D6, not talking about the adding in the pool results or anything like that, uh, it's, it's you know, uh, 50, 32, 16, something a, a around there. And that changes then the dice. Uh, it will often feel to the players that they cannot get a six. Uh, uh, if you play Force of the Dark, it's, it's, they will, it will always be that, that success with the cost or that mixed success. And, and, uh, uh, as a GM, as you're playing along, you have to be cognizant of, of that. Now, one of the important things is that building the dice pool, talking about that and, uh, basic blades and a number of other games use the question of position and effect. Uh, some of them have discarded that. Uh, or they've gone for one over the other. Uh, uh, position being, of course, controlled, risky, uh, desperate, as the basic terms that are used for that. Uh, and then we have a, a lesser effect, no effect, greater effect, those kinds of, of levels of effect. Uh, those are interesting things, and they are a point at which, as a GM, you find yourself having to stop and assess sometimes you have to uh, do that and it can be uh, a road bump one of the things i do and i've talked with rich about this before is i say to the players when we go to play forge in the dark every role that you make is risky and standard effect unless we stop to adjust that unless the player decides that they want to make that or unless the situation is obviously different that gets us past that that road bump, that hurdle that sometimes happens uh, with that. One of the things can be is that uh, for some people, that position effect uh, thing creates an axis that doesn't get paid as much attention to. Uh, I know that Ondish in particular uh, uh, likes to to uh, eliminate that as an as an aspect things or change around how that happens. That's a really interesting point to to change uh, how hack, especially if as you're playing along, you find yourself just doing you know risky standard for everything, and then you're elaborating on that in in other ways. The other potential like speed bump that you're going to hit with any particular role are devil's bargains, and some people love devil's bargains. I'm going to tell you that as a GM, I hate them. Uh, 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 because it's, I, I like pacing. I like keeping things moving. I like moving quickly. I like getting the role resolved. I like moving along. And sometimes when a devil's barking comes in there, I, uh, it's a stopper. It's a moment that stops me 
and I have to go, okay, where are we? What are we doing? And I have to think of another potential cost or consequence. The important thing being about those devil's bargains is they have the real challenge that a devil's bargain is something that you want to make sure doesn't negate potentially the action that's being done, doesn't undercut it, doesn't negate it, but it is something that will have an effect. It's not It's not either or. A devil's bargain, however it's phrased in whatever thing, is something that is definitely going to happen. When I play, I tend to tell players about the devil's bargains, and then I leave it to them. If they want the devil's bargain, if they feel they want to push it on that, they can do that. Uh, otherwise, I'm I'm suggesting to them about pushing themselves, helping each other, using stress in those things, because that's a limited resource, and I want players to run out of their resources so I can laugh at them. So that's really important to me. But devil's bargain, I find hard because it it is changing the charge. I'm I'm in one mode, and suddenly I have to shift over to another as a GM when I'm I'm calculating that. And some games approach it differently. And it, that is one of the questions I'm going to have when we get to kind of openly talking is people's experience with those devil's bargains. Uh, uh, if you've got any secrets or suggestions or things about that, that's another one I definitely want to come back to. Uh, so we do the roll, we get the result. You know, uh, a one to three is a miss. We give our cost. The players can resist that. The four to five is going to have success, but with some kind of cost and possibly something that the players need to resist. And of course, we've got success and critical success. That resistance is done using our stress system, which is a great mechanic. It's really fun. Stress rolls are fun. It's great that sometimes the GM can throw a couple of different consequences, especially if there's a miss and the players maybe have to choose Will they resist both of them? Will they resist one of them? Do I want to, to ameliorate this? How are the other players going to come in? I honestly think that stress and tuning how much stress you pay, how you get it back, is one of the most challenging uh, sets of tunings in the game. Uh, because if you don't get that right when you're hacking or you're playing it can feel punishing. Uh, it can feel really hard when when that's getting run down. And maybe that's what the game wants because they, it wants you to go to that because you're playing a short-term game. But if it's a long-term game, it can feel really tough. I will give you an example, and I'm going to point to Mountain Home again. And I, I love Mountain Home. I think Mountain Home is a, is a great game. But Mountain Home also really hits the stress hard. Uh, uh, you can do one or two missions before you get a phase to recover your stress. Stress costs can be high. You know, the, the downtime actions are really important. There's a lot of weight put on them. And, and if you're having to spend those downtime actions to recover stress, that, that feels really costly. Uh, and, and if you don't roll well there, it can feel even, even worse. Uh, and when we ended up playing Mountain Home over time, we we figured out some other ways to tune that. I know Tyler uh, Lomniak has worked on that for his own Mountain Home game, uh, adding in new buildings that help out with that. And, and it's one of those places where I really feel that that pressure and feel how important that is to, to playing out the game. Uh, consequences, 
I think are a real challenge for the GM to figure out which ones are fun, uh, which ones uh, maybe aren't like you, you don't want to always give consequences that they always have to resist. Like this consequence is bad. I always have to risk. You want to give them some wiggle room, some interesting choices. So if they decide not to resist it, for whatever reason, the stress is getting low. It still makes the story interesting or intriguing. They've got their wound or whatnot. Uh, and I think that's that's really important. One of the other tunings that is, is the number of stress boxes and how the game handles conditions. In Basic Blades, when you run, when you mark the last stress box, then you get a condition. And those conditions are permanent. They are really strong factors for play. Uh, they, there's some talk in the game about ways that those could get uh, cleared, but they're very much intended to not be something that you're going to be, be going to. Conditions are great, though, because they are an XP trigger. If you play out a condition, if you have a condition for your character, that's another way to get XP. And so the first condition, like, ought to be free. It ought to be one that you're willing to take at some point. So you've got a role-playing cue, maybe. Uh, but then after that, it gets tough. Uh, uh, that's That can be uh, a, a real challenge for some players to accept that kind of failure. If a player hasn't played Forge before and they're forced to take that condition, as a GM, you want to make that interesting and fun so that they don't feel like like they've been penalized really heavily for some kind of uh, failure there. Uh, those are, I think, like the real basics about rolling. What I think, you know, for me, as I'm saying, uh, things I think about when I go to do rolls, when I go to do stress, there are other things in there, like leading group actions, like taking a, a hit for another player, like rolling to resist for another player is a, an option that's sometimes forgotten. Uh, but there are some really interesting ways to do that. And some games handle those things differently. Again, I, I'm going to keep mentioning Mountain Home. Uh, uh, but it has a thing where doing that, that leading a group action and helping another player out by, uh, I, I think, by by taking the the resistance for them, that's an XP trigger. That's another way to get XP. And I like that. And that encourages those and supports that kind of play. It, it, it talks about the team dynamic. It talks about what the group is about. Might not be as appropriate for other games, but I think it really fits there. The other things that I think are really important when we're talking about Forged that we want to, and I yes, rich uh, uh, traumas, uh, they're called conditions and other things. I, if I kind of flip back to to that, uh, uh, I think that uh, the the next couple of things that I want to talk about. Well, I'm going to zip forward here and answer the question there. Uh, the approach role. I think if there's any mechanic that you can steal for other games that you should be stealing for every other game that you play, it's the approach role. It's that there's a thing, a task they want to do, something big. We want to cut to the action and we figure out the uh, advantages that the, the, the players have as a group and, you know, the disadvantages we 
get a pool of dice from that, and we make that approach roll, and that tells us where we start. Uh, I think that's that's super important. It's a great mechanic. It's super fun. One of the things that I think is equally important with that is that the different roles have a couple of dynamics to them. The one to three miss roll says that you're going to start in desperate position. You're going to start out there in a bad place. The four to five means that you're in a risky position. And a six means success. But parallel to that, there's also the idea that depending on how high you roll, this is how far you've gotten into the mission. You are in a ways. One of the things I think that GMs sometimes do is, okay, we're starting risky or we're starting, you know, in desperate and, but we're always starting at the same place. I think it's super important to tell players, here are some cool things that you got past. Maybe even ask them. It's a chance to go, okay, what did you overcome to get here? What did you do to arrive at this controlled position? Uh, I, uh, you know, and, you know, if a play, if players do roll a desperate thing, I do want to give them a little, like, you got past these cool things, but now you're in this really bad place. I want to uh, yeah, put a balm on the wound, as it were. Uh, so I think that's really important when you think about it. You need to put a lot of weight in that approach role. Uh, the approach role is also one of those places that, uh, especially as the game gets later, as it has gone on, as the player character's group crew is rising up in tier, that you want to, your instinct GM is to kind of raise the tier of their foes, but you want to give them some approaches where they are higher tier than their foe to show that, hey, you guys are awesome. Uh, you get this advantage. You're going to make this approach roll with a bunch of dice. You know, and I like to to make sure we have players have one or two of those before I ratchet up the difficulty of our foes. So it feels good and it feels challenging and it feels right when, when we go along. Um, I think that's a really interesting thing because unlike PBTA, where all of the roles are very much in the player's hands, these are places where the GM is making some decisions about those roles and is shaping that in, in a more classic kind of trad interactive way. We're not rolling, but we are sh really heavily shaping what the role is, is going to be. Uh, of course, all of this is action phase, mission phase, doing things phase. The other half of this uh, uh, is the, the downtime phase. Uh, this is the phase that has kind of everything else in it. And I love Blades in the Dark. I think it's a really uh, well-written book for teaching the rules. I don't think it's as great for looking things up when you go to play the game. Uh, uh, and that's based on running it a lot. Uh, but I think it's, it's really good. But one of the things it kind of does is hand wave a little where the role play is. It... It says, oh, there's some phase, there's some time that goes outside of this, and, and some of it falls in downtime, some of it goes outside of it. But the downtime phase is, is really interesting. I'm going to come back to why I think there's a challenge. 
The biggest thing that you're going to be doing, depending on your system, for example, if we're playing Girl by Moonlight, you don't have to worry about this. Girl by Moonlight wipes the stress away. And I think it's a brilliant reversal of how things go. But most often when players are going into that phase, they are thinking about how do I get my stress back? Uh, how many actions do I want to spend on that? What is it going to cost me? How risky is it for me to roll to get that stress back? Because, of course, there's a mechanism for getting too much stress back. I think that's a, a really tight uh, back and forth there. One of the things that is tied to that in Blades and in a lot of games is that that process of recovering stress is about your player indulging in their worst instincts. It's about your player, it's vices in Blades. Uh, it's about them, you know, kind of being potentially awful to themselves and to other people, uh, which is a hard sell for some people. Uh, uh, and in some games, I don't dig it. Like, I, I find it tough. Uh, there's been a movement in some Forged in the game, uh, Forged in the Dark games, to kind of change what that indulges in vice means, that that it's doing something, something different. Rich pointed out to me that uh, in Mutants in the Night has a really interesting novel set of uh, vices that, that aren't really vices in the, the classic sense. But it's, again, one of those places where if you're introducing a new player to Forge in the Dark, look at what those vices are and look at what they mean and be prepared to help the player kind of work through what it means to be indulging in hedonism or whatever to, to walk through that. It's a friction point that GM should be aware of. Um, and again, uh, uh, as I said, with, with Mountain Home, with other games, that tuning of how much stress, when you recover it, how many actions you have to spend of it is one of those mechanical cycles that as a GM, you need to know how that works. You need to know how hard it is to get that back. You need to be aware of that. It was when I went to first run Blades and got it to the table, it was it was it took me a long time to figure out where that was. I also had a big table. One of the things that is a, uh, uh, a potential issue with Blades in the Dark with some other games is if you have a table of six players, uh, as I had, uh, uh, stress becomes much less meaningful uh, as you go along, unless you drag out those action sections, unless you hit people really hard, unless you're really pushing on that. And if the game goes for a long time, as mine did for two years, by the end, you will have to you will have so few resources to really hit them hard because they will have all of the I you know we can suck up stress from here. I can help you out with this. Oh, we can cool our rolls. We'll get the, all the results together. Um, but you need to kind of be uh, aware of of that thing. The there are a couple of other things that happen in that downtime phase. There uh, that depending on your game, will have more or less like impact. Uh, there is the, the long-term plan, make a project uh, one. That's a classic fallback 
for a lot of different things. If people do that, you want to give them something. If they've spent that action as a GM, you need to make sure that that pays off because the downtime actions are super valuable. You want to make sure that pays off. There's also the going and getting assets, uh, borrowing from, from faction members is kind of a, a part of that. I found that very rarely did I see players use that. It was only if they were like looking through the list and going, oh, I've never done this. Let me try this out. Uh, different games have uh, different things. That one really interesting one is uh, Vergence, which is a Force in the Dark game, which is built on trying to emulate sort of the feel of the Chronicles of Amber. It has, because it's doing politics and faction things, it has a downtime action that is just about going and like building relationships and uh, co-opting other groups and and modifying your faction ratings and that kind of thing. And I think that's a really interesting thing because factions sometimes in, in Forged, they have tiers, we have our relationship, but maybe sometimes they don't get utilized as much as, as they could. Um, that all ties in, of course, to the other aspect I don't want to go too much into, uh, but uh, is the crew. The crew is... Uh, an awesome thing and we've seen lots of games do very very different things with the crew some of them shorthanded and make it not that interesting there's some picks that are, are are done to kind of build up support things uh i i like a really good crew sheet i like how a girl by moonlight does it where the crew sheet is unique to each campaign frame it's a clock for the campaign itself. It tells you how far you've gotten along on it. I think that's really, really cool. Uh, and there are some other games that are doing interesting things with those, those crew playbooks. Uh, so one of the things that comes with that is this idea of advancement and tier. And sometimes... Uh, players wonder you know, what the economy is. Like Forge in the Dark, of course, as you know, have a place in the dark, has a real economy of coin, spend, reputation, building up tier, and it kind of matters in some places, but sometimes it doesn't. Uh, as a GM, you want to look at what that tier means and when players do raise up in tier, when the, the, the crew does raise up in tier, you want to make that uh, uh, interesting and uh, fun and and have a real payoff. Um, uh, so I, I really like the, the crew sheets. I think some other games are doing uh, interesting things with that. Uh, so that's me talking. That's me doing the super breezy thing through this. Just that's, that's forged for me. Uh, so what I want to do is kind of now open this up for questions for for some thoughts uh either about play or gming or things like that but i do want to start with one thing rich i am going to throw to you because i mentioned the mutants in the night vices and how much you you dug what they did can you talk about what what it does sure i'd be happy to thanks lowell uh yeah the vices i've had a problem with in blades i i have a lot of problems with blades setting and vibe but 
I had avoided Mutants in the Night until just the last part of last year. And the vices are um, interesting because they're around recovering from stress rather than indulging in something awful. Uh, so, for example, you can have a vice of slay, which means that you you dress wild and impress others and represent yourself, go out and dance. Vibin is spending time in real conversation with your friends or your partners to refresh yourself. So there are a number of different vices and every one of them are interesting and kind of wholesome and really feel like ways you can recover stress stress in a, a healthy way. So I read that I was, I was really excited to get it to the table and it's been great because it's the kind of stress relief scenes that you don't necessarily see as much in blades in the dark because folks want to join in like, Oh yeah, you want to go party? I, we could all go to a party and each of us could have a way to relieve our stress rather than the sad person in the corner indulging in a place in a dark stress. It's awesome. Uh, anybody else uh, know of another other games that are doing interesting things with the the, the kind of stress and vices uh, uh, approach to things? I certainly know Mountain Home kind of dials it down. Uh, Mark? Um, yeah. Uh, Slug Blaster um has not they we do have a downtime phase but uh basically instead of downtime actions or um vices to indulge each uh playbook basically has a set of uh arcs that you can spend um trouble which is stress or um uh, style which is xp on and half of them you need to spend stress on to like get like oh i'm in trouble with my parents or whatever um so it's interesting to see the instead of just like sometimes if in other blades games it feels like there's some pressure to come up with something to justify um indulging a vice or whatever mm -hmm. um whereas this is prompts it's like oh spend uh spend three style and then do a scene or with another teammate that does this specific thing and get an extra trait or do something. Um, so it's really interesting. You're not clearing your stress. You're spending it to get stuff. Oh, that's interesting. So, so the stress itself becomes a resource that gets spent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and wow. They're all running right now. They've been doing really well, so they don't have enough stress to get the arc they want. <laughs> so they're like, we got to go get in more trouble um, to like do downtime stuff. Yeah. Wow, Which in terms wild. of in terms of like reinforcing the theme we talked about earlier, that's your teenagers. You want to go out and get in trouble with your friends, you know, and, and it's just excellently encourages the team to do that. So I agree. That's one of the best mechanics in Slug Bastard. Yeah, agree. Wow, that's wild. I, I, I hadn't heard of that. Uh anybody else have anything they want to say about that? That sort of the, the vices and indulgence there? I mean, just if we're, if we're listing games that do it differently, uh, Band of Blades is very different in a lot of ways. But in terms of there's no indulging vice, you the Legion as a whole, uh, you know, during the downtime phase can take liberty and then every every, every character, uh, you know, gains stress back. So not uh, it's been a while since I've done that. So it's not not done individually at all. It's 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 all in that sort of group phase. OK. 
the um, another one that has an interesting twist on it uh, is Fathom, which um, has downtime activities that um, that are that are much like other uh, Forge in the Dark games. Uh, but one striking difference is that every playbook has a special downtime um, activity that they can use to relieve stress or do other things, um, which are very um, interesting character changing choices in many cases. And so that that sort of individualized thing, it's like, yes, okay, you can be a normal person, you can do these things, and then you can do this weird thing that's just about you. I hadn't thought about the idea of of giving that as an option on the playbook. That's a really interesting dial uh, to have. Um, uh, uh, I, I do want to say about about uh, the the whole stress relief thing. You know, Blades has a dark vibe to it, and so it wants those vices to be hard, to be unpleasant. Uh, Last Fleet is another game that that you know has. Uh, you know, uh, uh, some it's it's not exactly a forge in the dark, but it also has a, a, a like indulging in your worst self uh, uh, to clear. So that's a, a theme that that we see across these these games. Mads, were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to kind of pull on uh, some of the stuff that we had done in uh, Bump in the Dark. Uh, their downtime is made up of a lot of free play and the activities that are listed just, I mean, they don't affect something as uh, direct as like stress, but for certain, I can't remember what they're called, sorry, like the stats, like for luck or alarm, I mean, like, you know, they, you can reduce, uh, by doing certain activities, you can reduce these uh, depending on the downtime die that you that you roll. So, for instance, it's like if you do um, quell alarm because of acting as protectors for Iron County, uh, Iron Country slash like Last Pine, the the the, the town that you are you are um, uh, tasked to protect. Um, quell alarm is is like you know say what your character is going to do to lessen alarm in the people of this place and you reduce the alarm according to your downtime die so like one to three reduces it only by one point four to five by two and then six by three and then a critical reduces it by five so i mean like again like this is just an example of like where it affects certain bits of the game and like you know there's another one called uh hold on where is it luck yeah here we go seek solace so seeking solace it's like uh describe how your hunter seeks solace and say who if anyone is with you and then you would clear luck you know equal to your downtime die so i mean again it's like you know it affects different bits that uh you were affected by when you were in the action phases so i mean i and like solace could be camaraderie faith love obligation the occult uh solitude and what's described as vice but i mean it's questions that you answer in terms of like you know nothing that is like solidly a true vice if you don't want to do it mm -hmm. i mean what steadies your nerves when nothing else can where do you find yourself broken and alone but finally feeling something so could be taken in several different ways and not necessarily negatively i don't think you know so it depends on how the players indulge in their free play um and and their role play essentially i mean like i i feel like this this was a forge in the dark game that gives a lot of 
like space for mm -hmm. players to explore that, especially in downtime. So, yeah, it, it naturally transitions into into the, the, the question about how we get downtime actions to support role playing, to give us space to do role playing, uh, to to back that that up, uh, and to to make those those actions that you're doing interesting. Uh, I'll talk about Robot Moonlight. As I mentioned before, it gets rid of the whole stress clearing thing. Uh, there is a role to start uh, the kind of the mission phase where each player rolls to see how much uh, stress they've taken from the outside world. Uh, but then they also... Uh, kind of replace the idea of the action that you have to do to regain stress with the gaining of links, because that's a resource that's as important as stress, if not more, because those links can be spent to recover stress, reduce uh, stress, help out other people. Uh, and links are role play. You, you, you do a thing with another character, you narrate a scene, and you generate uh, those links. And I think that's that's another uh a way to do that um uh but like what's other people's experience with with trying to find that rp space uh in in a forge game uh uh chaotic i see uh, yeah i know for me personally with uh blades in the dark we spent uh typically for downtime sessions an entire session dedicated to it because we really drew out like the role play because like mechanically it's not enforced uh and i think like that's where a lot of people struggle with like blades and force of the dark a lot of the role play aspects of the system is not mechanically enforced mm -hmm. it just gives you like hey here's position effect you choose your stat you roll the dice and then you resolve the uh, result it that's pretty pretty snappy for the most part but like that's not the point the point is figuring out who's in control of the situation figuring out like uh what am i willing to gain more ground what am i willing to risk what i am i intending to do that is staring and uh this is why i actually like the vice system in plates in the dark mm -hmm. uh because like there's a lot of RP implied in it because like, sure, you go out and do like this dirty deed, but like this implies like, you know, people, you know, locations, you can get contacts in the area. You have personal viewpoints on like how you characterize your character because this is what they enjoy. This is what they in intend to do on their off time versus when they're on time, like, there's a lot of questions you can ask there, but I think like for most part, people really don't want to engage with the setting. Mm -hmm. And I think like that's a shame because like I like it a lot. I just wish like the book was laid out better and like <laughs> like I like I could figure out how to incorporate this on a mechanical level because like it seems like we're playing two different mm -hmm. games at the same time. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me say something, and then Alex, is how you uh, raise your hand here. One of the things that I find a real challenge with this is that when you go in the downtime phase, there's a question of, besides the downtime actions, how are we mechanically resolving things? Are we going to roles? Uh, 
Are we spending stress? And if you're spending stress there, like how is that getting recorded? And do or do I just hand wave what people do? I think that is 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 a challenge of figuring out where where those mechanics are. And it's it's a place I struggle. Like I, I have struggled in the past thinking about that and making it meaningful, you know, or making failure on those roles meaningful. You know, it's it it it's tough. Uh, I, I'm sorry, Alex. You were going to say? No, yeah. I just wanted to um, jump in with. I agree with everything Chaotic said. You know, it's really important to remind people that it's a it's a narrative game. It's not just a mechanics folks name. Um, but one mechanical area where you can encourage that is the XP triggers. You you can point out, you know, during downtime as, you know, an MC, like, you know, hey, you know, just a reminder, if you have another character jump in your downside scene, that's something that'll get you XP later. Or if, if this is a great opportunity for you to show something about your background or your heritage, right? Let's have a scene between you and your union boss or, you know, your rival, right? And, and you know, that can kind of, yeah, like the some some players will really. I love XP. I will eat it up like candy. So you know, any kind of way that I can get XP and show off my character, you know that that's uh, a great time for me. So that's a really good point because I, I I you know sometimes I do find with these games and we get to the end of the XP trigger phase and people are like, uh, I think I did something with precision, uh, uh or 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 whatnot, and it it's it it can be really tough another thing i'll mention as if you uh, as chaotic suggested you know kind of expanding out the downtime phase do everybody doing their downtime action and then having a go around where everybody calls a scene with another player uh and then doing the second downtime action it 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 let lets the situation breathe it opens it up uh and it's an easy way uh uh to 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 do that to to uh, blend onto that uh anybody else on those idea of the 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 downtime the the challenge there uh i also know Ag agatha asked like how you expand role play during downtime uh uh i like my gm for blades in the dark like one of the ways that he encouraged role play was asking like how do you maintain your relationship with your purveyor? Uh, uh, and when we're focusing on projects, like what does this particular step of like this uh, project look like? What are you doing to achieve your goals? Uh, are you going to do maintain your contacts by like keep keeping tabs on them and talking to them about like uh, any personal problems they may have? Are you doing things to maintain your uh, crew's image of yourself? Uh, or is there something you want to discuss uh, with your crew? Because last time, uh, uh, one of the other PCs left you in a bit of a lurch there. So yeah, leading questions. The the contact list, which some which is fun when you're making mm -hmm. up the character. Like you get that to start is a super cool thing. It sometimes gets forgotten uh, 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 in in play by some people. Having people call scenes with those characters, having people call scenes with other players. I think that's. Uh, uh, all really uh, 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 good stuff there. Uh, Chaotic mentioned in the chat uh, the challenge of factions uh, uh, there, that, that factions can be a, a, a tough thing to make, make interesting, to make present. Uh, uh, and I, I agree with this. Like, 
when I play some games that do have a faction thing, sometimes it can be uh, uh, a, a, an easy thing to drop out when we're going on and doing other things. Uh, I think one of the important ideas with factions is to like associate players like with uh, individual characters relationships with the factions like uh each character should should be connected to at least one of them i also think it's important uh to put a face to every faction like you get that npc tab and you put a, a face on them and they don't need to know everybody in that that faction but they know this 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 lady and she's a badass and they don't want to mess with her um and, and i do think it's also like uh talking about mechanical ways to make that beneficial obviously in blades there's some ways to mechanically to build up your relationship with other factions i think that's a great reward system to have have in there um yeah uh yeah. And, and as chaotic said if there's 20 billion factions that could be a problem i think you do have to kind of narrow uh your focus there um yeah, and I I did do a thing where I had I borrowed from uh, Green Law of Varkith, which is written by Rich. Oh, geez, who wrote that? Brendan Conway. Brendan Conway, thank you. Uh, which is a PBTA Dungeon World setting, uh, but it has a really interesting set of ideas on how you generate what the factions do to each other, uh, like and. You don't need to do that every session. You don't even need to do that every few sessions. But like as a kicker to start off when you've got some factions to randomly generate, like they're plotting against this group, they're making a deal with this group, you know, and and do it, you know, in different directions. It's super fun. Uh, and it's a good way to, to give yourself as a GM some ideas on how you want to uh, uh, play those things out. Yeah, I find that a lot of Blades games have pretty good, like, lazy GM tools if you want to jump on them. And factions, I lean on factions so hard. Um, just to, like, if, if factions shift up and down during the course of whatever, that helps me plan the next thing. If, you know, if they mess with the faction one way or another, that's going to help me plan the next thing. Um, it sometimes there's almost no work to do at all because they're like, oh, we poked this faction and this faction and now they're caught in the middle of a thing or they're trying to get a favor from a faction or something. It's like, it's, I'm super lazy GM and mm -hmm. it helps me so much. <laughs> it, it does also make the world feel a little more alive too. It's like not everything revolves around the players, right? There yeah. are things happening in the background. So it's important as well. Yeah, but I, I, I will say about that sort of number thing, there is a law I try to follow when I'm doing this is that generally there's a, I think uh, like a, a public speaking thing, uh, people can handle five plus or minus two items in their mind. And so that should be kind of what you're aiming for is, you know, that many factions or that many things that are super relevant that the players are going to be uh, interacting with. What is, what is capes in the dark do Agatha? Oh no, I have to unmute. Um, Caves in the Dark does, it, it has, so the first, uh, it's faction phase, it's 
it's, it feels like it's GMless, and I believe uh, this is um, taken from or at least very strongly inspired by Armor Astir, which nice. is PBTA. Um, but it's basically you do like a series of different kinds of vignettes and or scenes um, that would pit um, um, factions against each other or maybe they're helping each other. It depends. And there's like a list of choices that you choose from that. So it's basically a set yeah, list of faction interactions mm. that everyone gets to kind of play out and contribute to everyone at the table. That's really interesting, especially as a GM-less tool for, yeah. for doing Force in the Dark games. That's very cool. Uh, Brandon, you were... I wanted to touch on a subject that you had said before, and it took me a moment to find it. Um, there have been there are a few resources, such as a, thing, a pamphlet called Duskfall Breathes. I don't know if anyone has encountered this, uh, which is... Uh, vignettes for downtime actions that are very uh, that are specific and redolent with a theme. Um, you know, for example, you know, one of them that he has, and he, 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 he the author of Dustfall Breathes provided this as a free download, an anniversary. It was a day like any other until it wasn't. Something happened all those years ago, something that changed your world, something worth remembering. And then it's it's you know it says how many people it's for, and um, it's you know equivalent of indulging a vice, but it has specific questions that set the scene, uh, and so on and so forth to um, to assess the the PC and and players and anybody you know playing any other characters to uh, you know to to paint you know a very particular very you know powerful scene. So the you know I encourage people to think about. You know, what are very specific sort of downtime things that people might do, you know, in celebrating an anniversary or the, you know, or honoring a friend, you know, engaging in a, cere uh, in a ceremony. I mean, if, you know, Blades in the Dark is full of, you know, potential ceremonies, you know, people being elevated in, in a gang or, or those, you know, being invited to court or all these sorts of things. Or, you know, oracular events, you know, where you get a glimpse of, you go to the fortune teller and get a glimpse of your future, things like that. You can all, we can all see the potential of these, but I find it fascinating. I, I love uh, you know, card prompt things. I love uh, table prompts that, that those are just, uh, you know, when, when I have ran forged, I of course used all of the, the heist deck tech, uh, uh, which is a similar thing. I think those are really interesting and i love the idea of having those resources a player to use as optional uh, uh if they if they don't know necessarily what they want to do it's also a, an interesting place to to tailor potentially if you're like doing blades but not duskfall uh that that's a, a cool place to 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 start for for tuning some things one other thing and i would put this out there because this is something that i haven't figured out a great solution for with with blazer force in the dark is how you handle investigation uh how you handle like where that goes in play because traditionally investigation is a, a segment that's that's governed by dice rolls and resolving that but we're in the downtime phase you know uh uh are, what, what are we doing are we just getting level of success what are we doing how do we make that dynamic 
how do we make that interesting? Uh, I really like what, for example, again, Girl by Moonlight does, and this is based on each playbook has a set of questions. There is a, an investigate action that is available in downtime. It, you know, in a number of the different frameworks, uh, does some additional things in addition to investigation. Uh, but it has, you know, the results generate, you can ask this many questions and this many follow-ups kind of a level of, of success there. Uh, but I wonder what other people have done or uh, experiences you've had with, with handling those kinds of gathering information, investigations, and making that feel interesting in play not necessarily as a downtime action but, but as an action that's done during downtime or during free play anybody can help me here because I like it is it is uh, literally just, a place yeah I just tell them the thing you just tell them the thing okay yep yep <laughs> Mark you, you agree with that yeah, I agree and if if we're doing um uh fortune rolls to sort of figure out the degree of what um, it's for me, it's useful to not have the role determine how much of the thing they learn, but how bad the thing is they learn. If it's like, oh, it's a six, then they learn some useful stuff. It, it's a one, then they learn some stuff they probably didn't want to know. Uh, and again, that's, you know, made up as we go. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I, Rich's, Rich's point is like, just tell them the thing. Uh, there's no reason to hide See, I'm too old, Trad, just to. Uh, yeah, my, I, to, to, to tell, I know. You I like know. investigation, though, Lola. I know. I, I love investigations, which I is why I like it. Roles so I love this game. It doesn't make me do the thing. So I just tell them the info and we can move on to what the game's about. Yeah, I, 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 I tend to agree. I mean, I think, I think the ideally investigation roles should be used to rock their world a little bit, right? When they find out stuff that changes their their comfortable frame or what they were about to do or something like that you know through try to i try to intrigue them or throw them for a loop you know if at all possible with anything that they discover and so i'll often have a lot of things written down as like they might find out these things if they go poking mark what one thing i struggled with gather info was kind of in terms of pacing you know, there is still a temptation, you know, for players to spend a lot of time overly preparing. Um, so I just give people free flashbacks sometimes. Mm. I'm like, listen, you know, we can just cut back to this zero stress. You would have already prepared for this. We, we discussed it. So, you know, um, that can be a way to kind of move things forward while still letting them do the investigation piece. Yeah. And then there are a couple blades hacks that are specifically about investigation like mm -hmm. uh flame flame without shadow is one um it's a little wonky um but uh there are games you know that are specifically designed to to do that so you know that makes it a little easier it's interesting you mentioned flashbacks because i think that that's depending on the gm that is a place that sometimes can get overlooked uh and i say depending on the gm and i mean me uh I find that when I run, I forget about flashbacks that the players forget about flashbacks, despite them being really interesting tools and things, but it just kind of, they get lost on the cutting room floor sometimes. Uh, and I feel bad about that because I do think they're, they're, they are super cool. And in theory, 
uh, I'd like to be able to 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 use them more. I don't know what what are other people's experiences with with flashbacks at the the table. No one wants to speak to it. They're flashing back to it, Mads. <laughs> no, literally, that's that's literally what it is. Because I'm trying to remember, like the first Forged in the Dark game that I was introduced to, uh, actually as a player, was a family of blades, and Paul Dunka had <clears throat> set it up beautifully, where there was literally like, uh, uh, you know, a family unit, not only with our group, but also like a, t a tie between my character and somebody else's or like, you know, several of the characters, of course, but <clears throat> there was a specific uh, mechanic that there was a move where they had to do something. And the only way to get it to push to succeed, because I think the role wasn't wasn't good enough. Like, I think it was like, you know, uh, uh, not a miss, but like the partial uh, the, the uh, complication, mm -hmm. but to push it to make sure that we could succeed because this was this was at the climax. I mean, like we had to do something on a train and it involved like flying a tank, you know, with a helicopter. It was insane. Anyway, I had to go into a flashback of when my character and this other character was like broke up, essentially, like they, they had um, had a falling out. And then the flashback was going over that moment and then coming back to the present to to call back to it and say i believe in you whatever happened back then you know da 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 like you know it it doesn't matter now i know i i know you can do this and it just it just kind of like it was an easy way to not only recover stress or or you know uh, cover that particular mechanic but was also a great way of calling back to the shared past and bringing it into the present to to make amends or to to heal that rift because um, I, I do believe that that is a mechanic in a family of blades like you're healing the relationship um, and yeah progressing your progressing the, the the story and making the result better so yeah that's my experience with flashbacks I like that uh uh, other people's experience? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think flashbacks are the biggest reason that when you're doling out consequences for failures and partial successes, you can push really hard. And you probably should. Because you can throw things at the players where they're just like, well, okay, well, then we're just, we just hit a brick wall. We're, we're doomed. <laughs> like, what are, what are you doing to us? And, and that's when you can kind of remind them, or maybe this was part of the plan the whole time and you prepared for this in some way. And all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, we have this resource that, you know, our, our characters are more brilliant than we are. And they saw this coming and that's a, yeah. And, but, but you don't get that unless you're really pushing hard mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with the consequences no, and you re and you really need to, I think, uh, for the game to really uh, work out supposed to. Because then they have that aha moment when they see the power of the mechanic, like, oh, wow, this impossible situation, we found a way past it. I 100% I agree with you. Uh, there was a thing, Lowell, in your, your setup where you were talking about the engagement role. Jumping into the middle of a mission um, is really hard for trad players to let go of the planning. And I feel like flashback is a critical component of telling them to shut the fuck up and and just go ahead 
because they can flash back to their brilliant plan and it's okay, right? We know you're smart enough to have thought of that thing. Just flashback. Maybe it's a zero stress if it really is that logical or if maybe there was something kludgy about it, one, two stress, and we can move on. So I just just bolting in engagement role without having flashback I've found isn't as smooth as having the two pieces together. Oh, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, this actually leads into Agatha's question about how do you determine consequences? And uh, honestly, like, I think consequences, I don't think Blades in the Dark does a good explanation of position and effect. Uh, I think it really took me playing and running Trophy to get it, even though technically Trophy doesn't use position and effect in the same manner. Uh, for me personally, position is the uh, what to do the players intend and what to, to do and what do they tend to get out of it. And sometimes I'm very generous with what they, they get and sometimes I'm less so. However, effect is what could go wrong. What could, if you don't hold steady and uh, face your fears... Um, wait, no, I got mixed up with position effect, yeah. so it's reverse those. Uh but yeah, uh, but really, like, it's where the fiction lies. Uh, I, also, to borrow from Trophy, like, I like to give devil's bargains to everyone mm -hmm. rather than just me being up to it. Because, like, sometimes it just gives me, like, a moment to pause. Like, I don't know what's going to go. Okay, I'll just ask the table. And so, like, when I say position, I'm like, okay, so you're going to intend to do this. This is your position. Uh, because, like, this is what could go wrong. And your effect would be this, because, like, it, it can only get you so far. Mm -hmm. So, rather than just saying, position fact. And sometimes players are way meaner on themselves than you're going to be anyways. You're like, when they propose a devil's bargain for themselves, they're like, whoa, I never would have gone there. But yeah, take a die. Mm -hmm. uh, countering opinion, that's my least favorite part of Trophy. <laughs> Uh, I hate the idea of the entire table set against me and coming up with the worst ways for me, things to happen to me. And it just, I know I'm supposed to play to lose. I hate trophy altogether, like that whole fear. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm a failure. I'm terrible. Uh, but to circle back to consequences, I'm going to answer one of the questions you had, Lowell, about devil's bargain and consequences. If I can't think of a devil's bargain, I try to come up with a clock. And what are easy consequences? Take the clock. Very easy lazy gming just do that clock stick it out there uh and then can't think of a consequence oh tick clock there there you go done yeah i think we forget how 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 much uh uh force in the dark really brought the clocks uh to the table and made that a, 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 an amazing tool and they do get uh they do offer a a really interesting thing because they're like like open dice rolls, I mean, it, it says show this to the players. They know they get to see the tension. Uh, they they understand what what the potential consequence is, or they'll imagine it, and it's much worse than than anything you could come up with, kind of thing. It also allows you to have truly dreadful things looming without bashing the players with them, right? It's like, okay, we're going to start at 10 o'clock for your world caving in, you know, and the and fire raining from the skies. And maybe we'll never get to the end of that 10 o'clock. 
<laughs> but um, but but it's it's something that you can say yes. Well, your action had a bad effect, even if it's not likely to uh, to run run its way to full catastrophe. Yeah, naming quarks is so fun. It's like oh yeah, meteor storm or something. You know, just uh, everyone gets a kick out of that. Or naming a clock something not specific that kind of refines itself as it comes along. Oh yeah, that's cool too. Uh, like I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, Brian, you were going to say something, and then I want to talk. Uh, have, have Mads. I uh, just uh, uh, for devil's bargains. Um, I think we've all had those moments where the players are about to roll, and you're kind of really hoping they get that partial success because you've thought of this great consequence. That's a great devil's bargain to make sure that you get that consequence. Mm, nice, a good, good, good GMing tip. Mads, you were going to say. Um, I, to Rich. Yeah, I just posted in the chat. Uh, <clears throat> Robin from uh, Open Hearth had uh, created a like specifically for Bump in the Dark, but I mean like she, uh, she created a dice roller and clock tracker, so it's a really neat thing. And like you know, it it kind of helps visualize. Oh, okay, I can now add clocks to this thing, and I kind of get it now since I'm like actively, you know, creating this thing towards something happening as as you say like the consequence of a, of a ticking clock all right great so now i have this and then of course like people can also roll for the different roles on this particular roller so i thought this was a really neat thing that that she created um to have available for that specific game but i mean like it it, it really helps like kind of solidify at least in my mind it's like oh that's what it's for and that's how you use it and then like you know when it calculates the roles i mean yeah it, it's it's a nice resource so oh. i just wanted to plug it in there awesome just right. uh, on on consequences one other thing i wanted to say is i think powered by the apocalypse games have done a better job of creating those lists of gm moves and those those are all just consequences mm -hmm. and those games just did a better job than blades of of like listing those so sometimes just Borrowing those lists. That's it. That's to remind that's you. A good point. Can I talk about my least favorite uh, blades consequence? Okay. Uh, it's harm. It takes forever to clear, and it's you know you always have to remember what the penalties are and remind the players constantly. And um, a lot of different Forge in the Dark games have either done away with harm or made it much easier to clear. Um, so I didn't know if people had thoughts about their favorite harm mechanics or or if you totally disagree with me that and think harm and blades is great so I, I i agree with you in the sense that i always once we get harm on there i always forget the penalties i i all i, I will never remember those uh when we get to play and and i don't know i don't know why harm is to force them to use their armor so you're really just, <laughs> you're attacking their load not okay. their basically their actual harm. the yeah, you know, a, a trouble with harm is, you know, unlike, for example, consequences that you have in a lot of games, is that they have no flavor, right? It's just, it's a purely mechanical effect. And so, to my mind, it's less interesting than some other consequences. Yeah, though you are supposed to write in, like, and, and again, this is another one of those cases, is things that when we get rolling, it's very easy to, to get going, as I do, too fast, and not stop to go, what does that harm look like? You know uh what is what is going on here uh and and make it easier to 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 skip over um it, it also points and i think you mentioned, just mentioned this the armor and so on 
like I love blades gear. I love it. Like I, I absolutely love it, but it's also one of those things that I see other games have jettisoned it. And I'm like, I understand why, like, because it is, there's an elaboration. There is a lot of detail to it. Um, I, I think mountain home does it really well as, as a system that makes the gear and things matter. Uh, but, but it's one of those places like I, I, I love, I love armor. I love gear. I love those little tables and things. So, yeah, the, the supply in mountain home is really interesting. I'm running it right now. And you know, that it, you definitely have to have more of a consideration about when you're going to spend it or not. And mm -hmm. that's really cool. And I yeah. like that you can keep it for the entire year too. So it's like, yes, you're spending stress. Well, you're spending supply on this, but you still have the thing. Yeah. Right. That's really neat. Yeah. You don't have to choose load. You have a very tight number. And so each time you use it, it matters. And you're going to talk about why you've chosen to have this magical thing or this, this armor or whatnot. And I, and I like that. I like that tightness there for that. Uh, Cause there, there is that, that choose choice of load uh, level. That is also one of the things that like, I like gear, but always having to stop and go, okay. And especially when you have, again, a table of six players and everybody's going, well, I'm at medium and I'm at heavy and, and whatnot. So. Uh, other, yeah, Mark. Sorry. Uh, like the harm penalties, the often there's no reason not to just take heavy load because no one ever remembers. Right. <laughs> like, oh, I'm light so I can sneak around or I'm heavy. So people are going to like that ne has never come up ever in a single blades game I played ever. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's fair. There are a lot of things that get lost, lost in the, 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 the breach there. Uh, so kind of towards like like the like the last 10 15 uh are are there games of uh of Forge in the Dark that we haven't talked about that are doing interesting things that you want to to advocate for um you know I've mentioned Virgins but of course Mountain Home uh, Girl by Moonlight those are all ones Mads? so um I had picked it up uh before I joined game facilitator camp whatever year it was like a year or two ago and um like i had run it but then i wasn't quite satisfied with how i ran it because it seemed simple enough but i didn't understand all of these different mechanics with the resistance and harm and consequence and da da da, da. but anyway so i ran it for great uh game facilitator camp and then continued to run it a couple more times in fact i ran it for shared hearth just this past october which was great so i felt more confident about it but what i think it does really interestingly is that there's this it's based on uh you're out in the woods lost something's stalking you and and this is the hunted the just, hunted yeah, hunted, yeah. sorry no. um but yeah uh, by chris Bissett and what I think it does really as as a fun mechanic is it does a story. So to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, basically, I guess to, to change a role or to uh, increase success, I can't remember, you can do this, you push, resist, whatever, or you can spin a story. And that story is not about the people that, are in the story it's spinning a story about the thing that's hunting you which one is ready like what that's fantastic 
And then two, I believe the playbooks have specific stories yeah, they do. that are told. So like no no story is the same playbook to playbook or even, you know, the the choices. So there's no repeats. Like everyone has the chance of telling a different story, a different rumor, something that relates to the thing or the the monster, whatever it is, hunting them. And I, I just find that fascinating because coming from from playing like, you know, Car from Brindlewood and The Between, mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, a lot of that whole backstory type of thing, instead of being about the characters, it's about the thing that's hunting you. It just it's delicious yeah. to me so I, I, i'll say this to tag on to what you said about the hunted uh uh it is you do that to add a die uh, i will say it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, i put a, a game of the hunted on the calendar for february the 18th and it is uh, uh slots are open so i just mentioned that out there for everybody uh uh so uh yeah because i just read it uh uh i hadn't looked at it before it was just this last week and i was so taken with with how it approaches forged uh, other people, other games that we want to 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 mention. Has anyone read As the Sun Forever Sets or 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 played that yet? That's the 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 H.G. Wells, the War of the Worlds one. I'm very excited about that one. I I I, I that's a that that's a a genre I dig. So I, I want to see what 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 that does. Any other ones we should mention? Advocate for. Oh, people! I'm gonna I'm gonna plug Slug Lesser one more time. Just like now, now give us the give us the elevator pitch because I'm now going to admit that I have no idea what the elevator pitch is for Slug Blaster. So Slug Blaster, you are uh, teenage hoverboarders who uh, dimension hop for fun, and your your jobs are basically like going to another dimension and doing some sweet tricks and coming back, uh, and then you come home and deal with your family and homework and stuff. Um, which is super fun and there's a lot of cool aesthetics around it um the system is one of the neatest distillations of blades i've seen um it just like brutally cuts out like a lot of uh a lot of stuff uh, but it still contains the the core that still really works really well um it does fun things with clocks like oh instead of like do a clock like uh make a word and then cross out letters of the word or um you know, there's no harm, there's slams, uh, and they just, like, go away uh, when you're done. Um, there's just a lot of, like, really cool things. Everyone has a signature item, mm -hmm. it's like, almost like a little add-on playbook that gives you, like, special powers and stuff. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of, like, cool things in it um, that are both, like... Uh, like boiled down blades and then a couple like cool little tweaks that i'm definitely gonna like pull back out to other blades games awesome rich what was the name of that post-apocalyptic game that we played a couple times but they were they were still editing and evolving it as we were playing songs for the dusk i believe yeah is the game that we played. i, that I love the really idea good. of that one yeah a lot. me too there's, there's neat stuff there it's old school but i'll go scum and villainy uh, because it's so easy to check out all the serial numbers filed off and run it as Star Wars. <laughs> it's also brilliant. just real. I really like the Gambit system. I think it's a yeah. neat mechanic yeah. how you can uh, just generate it from risky rolls and stuff. Yeah, it gives a payoff for those being the the kind of default uh, in some ways. Mm -hmm. I'll uh, <clears throat> I'll give a plug for for Fathom. Uh, the 
the the playbooks alone um and the the overall sort of creepiness of the world is a very it's a very particular uh take on sort of surreal uh adventures sort of monstrous without being without falling into any of the the, the categories of fiction that i've uh, encountered before wow agatha what was mothlight i know you didn't you run it before yeah i i was hyper fixated on it for a while <laughs> because a part of the pitch is that it was inspired by uh nausicaa or the valley of the wind so you can f inhabit this like weird space world where there are giant moths um and i was like oh yeah um but yeah that it's it has really interesting concepts i think the world building is the is the most fun part of it it does have like um like a session zero thing for everyone to pick from pick lists uh to kind of determine the world building mm -hmm. and then of course there's also the crew sheets that really uh, add to the world building as well i feel like that aspect of it is very solid and again if you want to encounter freaky weird space beasts mm -hmm. monsters be, uh, entities then i i still love that game you know i haven't heard whether it's being still worked on or not like in a while so yeah i love games with 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 world building uh built in and of course in the dark you know i think grow my moonlight does that really well it, uh uh it each of those campaign playbooks has a really strong premise and yet it still has room for the the, the group to to develop it um, I think there's a space for somebody to build a really interesting toolkit to, mm -hmm. to rebuild Duskvol, like a collaborative. Mm -hmm. We're gonna we're gonna build our version of this world, our version of what magic looks like, our version of that, and 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 do that. That's that's something that's been on my plate for a while because I I uh, I don't I don't like Duskvol that much. Uh, I ran in the, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I hate it so much. <laughs> I, 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 I ran in this, that Southern city, the, the one with the four demons that was in the, the blaze in the dark expanded thing. And I loved that. Like that was a very cool thing, but I'd love, I'd love to, 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 to see some more versions of that. Uh, um, Rich, do you have a, any experience with beam saber? Uh, no. I have a lot of experience okay. with Saber. Okay, <laughs> I, I know Rich, Rich has some 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 reservations about the complexity of that. Is my recollection? I, I, yeah, my eyes glazed, glazed over looking at the sheets. Yeah, Mark, yeah. can you tell I'm us about Bean Saber? I'm in a Bean Saber mega game right now with oh, wow. five different crews mm -hmm. in a shared world. Um, it's a lot. Um, Blades <laughs> is already a lot, and adding a mech with its own stuff on top of it is extra a lot um i it's fun to play um i'm not running it i would not yeah. <laughs> i don't think uh it's just a lot it's just an awful lot of stuff okay is it is it pretty tactical combat or we're we still feeling like it's forged in the dark combat it's it's still it's still forged in the dark combat um i, I think it's one of the i don't know why it's forged in the dark Oh, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I'm having a good time. Um, but yeah, I don't know why it's Forged in the Dark other than they wanted it to be. Uh, and Bump in the Dark was mentioned 
Can somebody give the elevator pitch on Bump in the Dark? Uh, Mads, you played it. What's what is the 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 deal with that one? I played it with uh, Mark W and L running running two different series of it, and I'm sorry. I mean, maybe I just play it wrong, but I mean, I got a lot of CW slash WB vibes when I was playing it both times, and I was able to, you know. Anyway, so it's it's built on these different um, supernaturally powered people um, coming together in a pact, capital P, to protect the people of Iron Country. Um, Last Pine is the name of the town that we're in, um, in this particular place. And it's got a lot of like great world building to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you're building the town, like the people you're associated with, um, you know, certain places in the town that you know, here's your headquarters or your hideout or, or lair, whatever, I forget what it's called. Um, and then, uh, you know, what's the deal with your crew, your, you know, your, your pact? Um, they get like stuff, like they have, we have points for stuff that we start off with, like, like cool tech, even though it's set in like, what is it, 1990s, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, so no cell phones, or at least not 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 great ones, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just again a lot of a lot of fun to have that world development, especially in this small town, and then there's like some stuff going on behind the scenes with the factions that are available. So like you know, one faction could be really beneficial and friendly with the pact group and others are just kind of working behind the scenes against them um and it's just like all these different elements that we can interact with as well as each other and it does have certain uh, mysteries mm -hmm. that we investigate slash uh, uh try to resolve in the town as part of our pact to protect okay people yeah if I can add to that a little bit, it's essentially Please. a monster hunting game yeah. um, that uses emergent mystery mechanics, uh, similar to um, those of Brindlewood Bay or External Containment Bureau. Um, and I believe it started off as kind of a forged in the dark drift of Monster of the Week. And you can still see that in the different playbooks. Um, but what it does, what it tries to add, I think, uh, to the chassis of Monster of the Week um, is an increased focus on the interpersonal dynamics uh, between the PCs mm, okay. that form this pact, which is one of the things I really like about it. Awesome. Uh, David MK mentioned uh, A-State, which is an old, old game that had a fortunate dark version they did just a couple of years ago. I, I will admit that I backed the Kickstarter of it and I have not read it. It is on my pile of shame. So, so that is there. Um, there's other things. I know Rich played Galaxies in Peril. Uh, uh, and uh, some, people, some people like that. Some people did not dig it as much. Uh, I as I... <laughs> Mark did a great job. I did a great job. Making it happen. It was a game we played. It's another one that's like, why is it Forge in the Dark? I don't think it benefited from that. Mm -hmm. That's a tough, tough, tough call. Uh, yeah. These things. Um, so we are towards the end. I want to thank everybody 
for for coming here and sitting and and chatting and all the feedback. One of the things I'm going to put in the show notes is uh, some of you will remember Plus One Forward uh, uh, a few years ago did uh, a summer series of Forge in the Dark games where they interviewed a number of Forge in the Dark designers. I will get Rich to, to give us the link to that series page and we'll put that in the show notes as well because uh, I think those are really interesting to hear why people chose to do things uh, and and what they decided to to do with those. Uh, so thank you all uh, so much. I hope this has been interesting and useful and maybe we'll do some, some more of these kinds of things. Uh, uh, I will be putting this up uh, as a video, as everybody knows, and uh, we'll we'll try and get a, an audio version up as well for people to download. We'll get that on the podcast feed uh, for folks. So uh, thank you, everybody, and uh, uh, have a great rest of your weekend, whichever portion of it is left. Uh, and I will see everybody later. I'm going to stop the recording. Thank you.